0: Okay, we are in Matthew, Matthew, and we're, we're reading now about the, the crucifixion, and we're, we're halfway through that now. And Matthew, uh, let's start reading from um, verse 50 of Matthew 27, verse 50. Matthew 27, verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, became very frightened, and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Many women who were looking on from a distance and who had followed Jesus from Galilee were ministering to, and were ministering to Him. Among them was Mary, Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James and, and Joseph, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So, you, you see that, that... Let me read also up in verse 45. In verse 45 it says, Now from the sixth hour... Darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour, and at the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and so on. You know, this darkening from midday until 3 p.m. is recorded by at least three historians from that day, and as far away as Alexandria, how the earth became dark. And this was on, on, on the 7th uh, on, on, uh, on of the month of e- Nisan, so it was April 7th that this had occurred, and it is recorded. So this is recorded actually quite far away in in extra-biblical materials. And and, uh, uh, this earthquake is also recorded. But then it says says in verse 52, The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. There were things that were happening during this crucifixion of Jesus that many of the saints who had died came back to life. Now, not the ones who had been buried, just the ones in tombs. And how do we know? It says, the ones in tombs. So there were some saints in tombs that had been raised to life, but they didn't come out of the tombs until after Jesus had been raised from the dead. And then they appeared to many. And so they came back alive. Had they come back alive six feet under, they never would have had air to breathe. These were the ones in the tombs, which are just caves, that, you know, you can go to Israel today and see how they would just put people in these caves and just put them away in there. And that's, that's very much like where they buried Jesus. When the centur- centurion saw it, and so there was a grou- the group of centurions were, were in charge of each crucifixion, when they saw this, one of them said, truly, this was the Son of God. And this is in verse 55 and 56 that there were many women were looking on from a distance. And in fact, in one of the other Gospels it says, all of his acquaintances, those who followed Jesus, were looking on. So the disciples were looking on. Some were closer than others, because we know according to the Gospel of John, that that there, that uh, uh, the disciple John was right at the foot of the cross, and so was Mary his mother. And Jesus spoke to them from the cross. Some were standing afar off. But his disciples were all there watching, and many others. And there was this group of women, it says, who used to minister to him. And in Luke chapter 8, if you turn to, to Luke chapter 8, verse, verse 1 through, through 3. It talks a little bit more about, about some of these women. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterwards, he began going around this from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sickness. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. And Susanna and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. So there was a group of women, some of them actually very wealthy women, like like uh, uh, Joanna, who was the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. So they're talking about Herod Antipas's steward. That man's wife was one of the people, one of the women who used to follow Jesus. And and uh, so there were many people that were actually working behind the scenes in in allowing this ministry to work, and doing many of the things that needed to be done. So if you're going to have a ministry that, that's touching people like Jesus often did, I mean, there's food that needs to be prepared. Sometimes Jesus was you know, multiplying food, but a lot of times He wasn't particularly multiplying food. Somebody had to prepare the food. There were things that need to be done in a ministry. And people play a part in that. And that is an important part. And the Bible makes citation that there were people that did this sort of thing. There are other things that that you learn in the book of Acts. There there was a woman who who used to make garments for the other saints and, and what a beloved woman she was. So there are roles of people in the church that aren't always in the forefront, but they're necessary to allow the functioning of the church. And we're not monolithic. You know, many people hate to be in front of a microphone. To them, that is not the way of ministry. They're terrified of doing that sort of thing. Many others like to work behind the scenes and doing things, but there's an important part and an important role in every ministry. Take, for example, my son. My son hates to be behind a microphone. In fact, if there's a microphone in his face, he's not going to say anything. I mean, nothing. He was one of these kids who grew up in church, and then, you know, he'd be on the stage singing with all the other kids, and he'd be in the back and just looking (laughs) and not saying anything. My other son always wanted to be right in the middle, in the front, in front of the microphone, and leading the whole thing, and everybody looking at him. Well, how can you have two individuals from the same home, the same family, the same experiences, be like this? Well, God made them differently. They're different. And so to this day, my son Josiah is active in the church. Nobody sees him. He's up... In the church, and he, he does the backgrounds for the music. So you see all these backgrounds changing. Somebody is pushing a button for the backgrounds. That's my son. And that's what he enjoys doing. And he takes that responsibility very seriously. He has to be here at ten after eight, and he has to go up there and get the things set, and they tell him, they go through the songs that they're gonna be using, and he starts ordering the backgrounds that he's gonna use. And, and, uh, Maybe, maybe you haven't noticed it, that sometimes the pa- backgrounds correlate to the songs that are being sung. So he plans this stuff out. That's what he likes to do. And if you look back there, you won't see him. Because he doesn't want to be seen, and he ducks down behind the computer screen in front of him. But he's ministering, and he has a role. And my other son has his role. He knows he has to get here, and he has to set up chairs in the children's church. And he sets up these beanbag chairs and does these other things. But he likes to actually have roles that, that are more in the forefront. If he could, he would stand up on stage and, and be there. But everybody has a part. There were people that were ministering. And you have a part. You have a part in the body of Christ. You have a part in the campus groups. And there is some way that you give out and that you serve. And if you're very active in one of the campus groups, maybe you then don't have time to serve in the local body of Christ right now in your life. Maybe if you're not active in the body, in, 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 in the campus groups, you'd you, you be in some role of service here where you invest something of an hour. But attending someplace is different than ministering to the needs of a ministry, ministering to the pe- needs of the people within that ministry. And you say, well, I don't know what I should do. That really is your problem. There's a problem there. If you don't know what you should do, that means you have a problem because We've gone through that there are a bunches of people in this church that are paid to help you understand what you could do and where service needs to be done. You go up to the folks in Campus Crusade, and I think if you tell them, I don't know what to do, what can I do to serve? They'll give you something to do. So remember, if there's a lack of something to do, a lot of times, it's our own problem. These women were ministering. They were not going out and raising the dead and doing the things that the, the, the twelve were doing, but they were ministering in an important way in the body of Christ. Now let's look in Matthew chapter, chapter uh, 28, verse 57. When it was evening, there came a rich man of Aramthea, named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a, in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against it and the entrance of the tomb, uh, against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember when he was still alive that that deceiver said, After three days I am going to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal away, steal him away, and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, "You have a guard. Go make it as secure as you know how." And they went and made the grave secure. And along with them, the guard, along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. Okay. So this it says that there was a rich man from Arimathea who had become a disciple of Jesus. So a rich man had become a disciple. Remember, Jesus said that it, it how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not impossible here is a rich man who is a disciple of Jesus. He goes and he, gets, he requests the body of jesus we 're going we're to study the life a little bit about arimathea today i 'm sorry, Joseph of Arimathea, but it says that he went he took the body and he 's a rich man taking down this body. He first has to make request of of, of Pilate to get the body and we 'll see in the other gospels the first thing. That Pilate does is he ascertains whether Jesus is indeed dead. Now, up in up in uh, uh, that we had read last week that, um, or uh, I'm sorry, we'll, we'll read in one of the other gospels they actually stick a spear in his side to confirm that he's dead, and then they further check that he's dead, and so they make doubly sure that he's dead before he comes down off of that cross. And then then it says that that in verse 62. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation. So what is the preparation day? What day of the week is the preparation day? Friday. Friday is the preparation day. Any Jew, you ask any Jew today, they will know what this means. Jesus died on Friday. So if anybody tells you Jesus didn't die on Friday, He's not a Jew. He doesn't understand what Jewish days are. The day after the preparation day is the Sabbath day. You have the preparation day, and then you, then you have the Sabbath day. So... Jesus was in the tomb and it says on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate. Now this may have been any time after the evening on Friday because it's sundown on Friday begins Saturday. And that's just the way it is. That's the way they count their days. They don't do it at midnight. They begin at sundown. And and so the, the actual time of day will change depending on, the, on on the day of the year that it is, on when sundown occurs. And it's actually when you see three stars, you know that the next day has come. Alright, so, so let's turn to Mark and look at the same account in Mark. Mark chapter 15 verse 42. Mark 15 verse 42. When evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. What could be more clear? When evening had already come, because it was the preparation day. It was Friday. It was the day before the Sabbath. This happened to be what's called a High Sabbath, meaning that the Passover event fell on a Sabbath day. And so it's called a, a High Sabbath. But... But it, very clearly, what day Jesus died. Then verse 43. Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time, and summoned the centurion and questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body of Jesus. Je- Joseph... Bought a linen cloth, took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth, laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out in a rock, and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of, of, of Joseph was there, uh, were looking on to see where he was laid. Okay, so this tells us a little bit more. This man Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the council. That means of the Sanhedrin. Remember, the Sanhedrin was these seventy-three people. Joseph was a member of that. And it says he was a prominent member. So you you became more and more prominent as you got older. So this was an older guy. It was an older, rich man, a prominent member. Not just any old member, he's a prominent member. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, in all sorts of groups, you have regular members, you have prominent members. In the university, you have assistant professors, associate professors, full professors, and then chaired professors means you sit in a chair. People give you more respect or something. But you have these different levels. He was a prominent member of the council. This is who he was. And he was waiting for the kingdom of God. And look what it says. He gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He didn't just go, oh, hmm, there's a dead body on the cross over there. we got to have this Sabbath. Let me just go ask for this body. No. This man had to gather up courage to speak. A prominent member of the council. Let's look over in Luke. Luke chapter 23, verse 50. Luke chapter 23, verse 50. A man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not... Consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in the tomb cut out in a rock where no one had ever lain. It was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment. This is very clear. Jesus died on a Friday, the preparation day, because the next day was the Sabbath. The women wanted to go and do the embalming thing, but they couldn't because it was the Sabbath day and they had to rest. So they were observant Jews. And it says again that Joseph was a member of the council and he had not consented to their plan and action on the crucifixion and condemning of Jesus. So in other words, not all members of the council were there because we know from what we read previously that all were in agreement. All the council members who were there were in agreement against Jesus. And you didn't have to have all the members there. You just had to have a certain number of members there as we had gone through. And and Joseph apparently was not there. Now, let's turn to John. John reveals a little bit more. Now, John is very good with geography. We learn through the Gospel of John, very important to John is geography. And John also, it says, remember, he's the guy who knew the high priest's family. Jesus knew a lot of the rich people. I'm sorry, John knew a lot of the rich people who are around in this community. And so if we turn to John chapter... 19, we'll read from verse 31. John 19, verse 31. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the body would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other, ...that was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced him in the side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he, and, and he who, would, who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the Scriptures, not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture that says, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. So, so what's understood about crucifixion is that people would die of crucifixion from asphyxiation. They couldn't breathe. Not from blood loss. So they had to keep pushing themselves up on this cross by their legs. So there was always this little ledge there. They would push themselves up They could take a breath and then they would come back down. And the way apparently they're hung, and I've read all about this and everybody says the same thing, the way they're hung, very hard to breathe. So they have to push up with their legs and breathe. So when they wanted these men to die because they didn't want them hanging on the cross during the Sabbath, so if they want someone to die quickly, they then break their legs so they can't push up anymore. And they asphyxiate. Because remember, though you're given no food, you're given all you want to drink, you can drink. So whenever you call for a drink, they'll give you something to drink, as we see with Jesus occurred. They come to Jesus and it says he was already dead. So there's people who say that Jesus never really died on the cross. Oh, he really died. It says it again and again. And not only did the Roman soldiers say this guy's already dead, he just happened to pierce him in the side. And, and, you know, if, if we were told to pierce somebody, you know, we'd go like this. You know, a Roman soldier doesn't do that. You know, they take their spear. They really learn how to stick somebody with a spear. This is what they do. And I've, had, I've read what doctors say about the blood and the water coming out, and they all disagree, all physicians. So I don't, I don't know what the, what the physical meaning of it is, other than they hit into something that was, that was really quite an important artery or something, or the heart itself, to have all this blood and water gush out. So he was really dead there on the cross. Now in verse 38, And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission, so he came and took away the body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, and who also was, was bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings... And spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Alright, so... They take Jesus down. Now you've got two members of the council. Nicodemus was also a member. Nicodemus was the guy who came earlier. And you say, well, how do we know it's the same Nicodemus? You will see that in a study of a book of the Bible, when it uses a man's name, it's clear that it's also... And then you see the name come up again. It's the same person unless they distinguish it in some other way. So if they want to distinguish it in some other way, they say, this Nicodemus, the son of so-and-so, so you can distinguish it from, the, say, another Nicodemus. But here they're consistent. They're internally consistent. It would be like me telling you a story about a guy named Bill. And then there are really three bills in this story, but I don't distinguish that for you. And Bill did this. Oh, and Bill did that. And, Bill, and you're totally confused. Now, I wouldn't do that, right? I distinguish the three different bills, right? That's exactly what they do within a book of the Bible. This is the same Nicodemus that came to Jesus in chapter 3 of John and said, how can a man be born again? And Jesus said, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know. This is the very same Nicodemus. Nicodemus, this thing of of Nicodemus uh, uh, comes up again in in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, you see that that Nicodemus was was indeed a a member of this council um, from John chapter 7. And you'll see where where Nicodemus is is even pondering the things about Jesus here in John chapter 7. So if you look in verse, um, verse 50, John chapter 7 verse 50. Nicodemus who came to him before, being one of them, said to them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? They answered him, you are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of, out of Galilee. So, he was also a member of the Pharisaic council. Nicodemus was. So, two men from this council, who had not consented to this, were taking Jesus down off the cross. It says that Joseph of Arimathea had to gather his strength. Had to, had to gather his courage to do this. Why? Why? You know, we have extra church writings that are not in the Scriptures that say these two men were ostracized and became penniless. They were very wealthy people, but they later became penniless because of their testimony. That's what extra church writings tell us about, extra biblical writings tell us about. This was a big deal for them to go and do this. If you look in in John chapter 9, you can see how big a deal it was to even show any show of affection toward Jesus Christ. In, In John chapter 9, verse 22, it says, "...His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confesses him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue." And being put out of the synagogue just doesn't get driven home to us as Christians." Because if we are asked to leave one church, we just go to another church. I mean, we go to lots of churches. It doesn't matter. But to be put out of the synagogue meant you had no formal relations with anybody of your community anymore. It made it even difficult to buy things. People couldn't sell you goods. No Jew could sell you anything anymore if you'd been put out of the synagogue. It was a huge deal and a great disgrace on your family to be put out of the synagogue. So no Jew wanted to confess Jesus because the leaders had said whoever confesses him to be the Christ is put out of the synagogue. So you see, it's a big deal. And remember, you know, they didn't like Jesus at all. You know, we had just read that they came to Pilate and they said that deceiver, when he was alive, said that he would rise on the third day. So let's put a guard over this tomb. They didn't even use the name Jesus. They didn't even use the name Yeshua. They didn't say, they didn't even use his name. And to this day, this same practice occurs in Judaism. You don't even use the name of the individual. You use some epitaph. You say something, that deceiver. Even to this day, they won't say Yeshua. Jesus' name is Yeshua in Hebrew. But if you ask a Jew, they won't say Yeshua. They'll say Yeshu. Yeshu, which is actually a derogatory term. They won't even say the proper name, Yeshua. And go to Israel, it's the same way. And you have a discussion with somebody, they'll say, Yeshu. And they know exactly what they're talking about. They wouldn't even say his name. These two men from this council who have everything to lose, everything to lose by doing this, go and make request. Joseph makes request. It says that that Nicodemus helps him, comes, Nicodemus actually comes, it says, and Nicodemus came bringing myrrh and aloes about a hundred pounds weight. He's carrying about a hundred pounds. Now remember, these are prominent members, which means that they're not 25-year-old members. They're 50-year-old members. And for me to carry a hundred pounds of spices on my back would not be easy. My back's not what it used to be. This guy is carrying 100 pounds of spices, and these two old guys are taking Jesus' body down. And it says they find that it says in the same garden Jesus is crucified, there's a garden, it says, that is right nearby. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. John is very specific with geography. And in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. And that actually was Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. It's very close. If you look, and, and, and the precedent for the Protestant site of Jesus' death and burial in Israel has very little historical precedent for that. The Catholic site actually has a lot of precedents for it. And you see the location where he was crucified and it's in the church and in that same building is the place is the location where he was buried there's no tomb left or anything because those have been long destroyed by people who wanted to defame it but the location is known and it's just i mean it's it's no distance at all it's maybe 30 yards or something it's very close and it says in the same garden the very same place and and it and and so this is what two old guys could do. You ever try to carry a body of a full-grown person? Try to carry a body of a full-grown person. It's really hard. And these guys, you know, they weren't, they weren't firefighters that had been trained, you know, put a body this way and this way and carry I mean, if you're not trained to carry a body, it's hard to carry a body. I don't know how to carry a body. I, mean, you know, I didn't pick this thing up. I've never, you know, had this training. I don't know. All I can do is drag it. And these two guys, and remember what else is happening to them. They're getting covered in blood. Jesus had been scourged, had been totally whipped open as we had talked about. Remember, his face was unrecognizable as a man. You cannot take up a dead body and move it and transport it that's covered with blood without getting covered with blood. These men were absolutely marked. He had to gather his courage in order to do this. This is not a simple thing to bear testimony of Jesus, to say, I care about that man. I care about that man who you guys just killed, who you guys just slandered, who you guys just mocked. I care about that man. This was destruction for them and their families by doing this. This man carrying a hundred pounds of spices to wrap him in linen cloth, as is the burial custom of the Jews. And Joseph putting him in his own tomb. Everybody knew that that tomb had been there for Joseph of Arimathea. This Jesus is going in Joseph's tomb in that garden. In that garden. In a garden a long time ago. A man brought sin into the world. The first Adam. Here the last Adam is delivering us from sin. In a garden. This garden where this is occurring. These two men are giving forth everything. And it says that Joseph had been a secret disciple of Jesus. I kind of like that. I like being a secret disciple. I can be a prominent member of the council and still have my relationship with God. You know, because it's kind of a personal thing anyway, right? Why do I have to come out of the closet with this thing? I just want to have my influence there on the council. But look in John chapter 12 what the Bible says about secret disciples. John chapter 12, verse 42. John chapter 12, verse 42. Nevertheless, many of the rulers believed in Him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing Him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Sounds understandable enough. Why confess Him? Because you're going to get thrown out of the synagogue. Well, read the next verse. For they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Whoa. It says, many of the rulers believed on him, but were not confessing him for fear of the Jews, because the Pharisees had said, whoever believes on him is going to be put out of the synagogue. Remember, put out of the synagogue is a huge deal. It's like being expelled from the university. I mean, that's a big deal. And not being allowed into any other university. It's a pretty big deal. Wouldn't you care about that if you got expelled from the university? Oh, well, no problem. Oh, this is a big deal. I mean, your life is dirt after that. So nobody was confessing him, even of the rulers who believed on him. And you'd think that the Bible would understand. Hey, you know, lighten up, John, lighten up. You know, understand. It's kind of hard. And John says, because they love the approval of men more than the approval of God. So, the implication of this is that God doesn't approve of the secret believer because they don't get His approval. They get the approval of men, but not the approval of God. In Mark 8:38, it says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this sinful and perverse generation, I will be ashamed of him when I come in the glory of my Father and His angels. That doesn't mean we lose our salvation. He says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this sinful and perverse generation, I will be ashamed of him when I come in the glory of my Father and His angels. That means when Jesus comes and he's introducing his father to his disciples, and then one comes who's been ashamed of Jesus. Jesus will walk up "Ah, No father, you you don't want to meet him. He goes on to the next guy. That's what it says. Isn't that what it says? Am I reading something into this? He says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this sinful and perverse generation, I will be ashamed of him when I come in the glory of my Father and his angels. That's what it says in Mark 8, 38. And if you think I'm reading something into it, maybe you're reading something out of it. If you think I'm putting something here that isn't there, Just think about this. Maybe you're taking something out that is there. It's a serious business. Joseph finally says, I'm coming out of the closet. They're going to know that I'm a disciple. And Nicodemus says, I'm coming out too. Let's get his blood all over our clothing. We're the two guys that carried this body of Jesus. Joseph had enough clout... With Pilate, because he was a member of this council, that Pilate granted Joseph of Arimathea the body. Joseph, it says, had to gather his courage. It is never easy to speak up about Jesus. Never. You know, one colleague said to me, oh Jim, it's easy for you, you're bulletproof. You can say what you want. You're bulletproof. And that's not the case at all. Let me tell you about myself. When I go to share with one of my colleagues, I get this lump in my throat. Yeah, I still get that. It's easy for me. Well, it's a lot easier for me to share in an airplane where somebody doesn't know me and I, and I start talking to them about Jesus. You go on the mission field. You go on some mission trip for the summer. You've got 40 kids around you who are gone to Mexico or something. You're far away from everybody who knows you, and you can speak up about Jesus. You know, it's much easier to go someplace and to speak about Jesus than to speak about Jesus around the people who know you. And I find that to be true. But now I've got to, I've got to share with my colleague about Jesus. You know, about when, when my colleague Rick Smalley had died, he came to know the Lord shortly before he died, this Nobel Prize winner. And when he died, just on his deathbed, he told me he had completed the manuscript, reading the manuscript, Who Was Adam?, a book by Hugh Ross. And he says, Jim, if, if the scientific community would read that book, 50% of them would become Christians. So I was interested in that book. So, you know, as soon as the book came out, because he was reading a, 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 a manuscript, the book had not yet come out, Q had sent him a copy of it, um, I read it, and I thought it was an impressive book, but, you know, I didn't think 50% of the scientists would become Christians. But anyway, I thought this was something good. I would use this as a tool. And so I bought something like 80 copies of that book. And this hardcover book, I bought like 80 copies, and I... I distributed copies of that book to all the faculty in my department and all the students in the Carbon Nanotechnology Lab. And I put a little thing in the the opening of the book and I said, and I quoted what Rick Smalley had said. He said that 50% of the scientists that read this book would become Christians. And I thought you might enjoy having this. It was not easy for me to do that. The money was no problem. I mean, the money was a few hundred dollars, but that wasn't keeping me from doing it. I mean, here I had to go and distribute these books to all the faculty. So it's on a Saturday. I've got all the books, and I'm carrying boxes of books, and the elevator is broken going up. to, And, and so I'm carrying these boxes of books. And remember, I'm the guy with the bad back. And, and I'm putting them in all the mailboxes of my colleagues and then bringing them up to the Carbon Nanotechnology Laboratory and distributing to all the, the, the staff and students up there. I'll be honest with you, that was not that easy for me to do. Maybe it'd be easy for you to do. It was not that easy for me to do. But I knew that this is a good way to share. And so what I did is I gathered my courage and I did it. The next day in faculty meeting, when I walked in there, it was dead silent. People were just looking at me. There were a lot of people that were not happy about receiving that book. And it wasn't just a book. I mean, they they construed every little thing about the unhappiness. That I would quote Rick Smalley. That I would use his death to propagate my little religion. You you see what I mean? All the things that people can construe here. Well, one of the men who read that book. and, and, And then the whole thing was just broken. I mean, it was like they were ready to just dash into me. And one woman says, Oh, Jim, well, thank you for that book. It was such a delight to get that, and, and, um, but I haven't, I, I haven't even been able to look at it because I brought it my home and my husband just grabbed it from me and he's reading it first and I'll have to wait till he's done. And it was such a refreshing thing because there were some others that just wanted to just lay into me for this thing. And some guys who shared with me, they talk, thought it was totally inappropriate. You know, they can get all sorts of trash stuck in their mailbox by all sorts of organizations. That's okay. Just throw it out. But what I should put in here was this book, "Who was that? Would totally inappropriate. So this wasn't easy for me, though. Maybe it'd be easy for you. It wasn't easy for me. I had to gather my courage. It would be much easier for me to hand out a tract in a different city to someone I didn't know, or to give this book to someone I didn't know. But this was hard for Joseph because he had to take down the body of Jesus in his whole community, and his whole community would know. One man read that book. And he called me and he says, Jim, I don't believe anything in this book, but I read it. He says, let's get together. And we talked for 20 minutes. He's never talked to anybody about this. Well, this man, this man is dying. And guess what? I've been called to talk to him. There was something that was established. There was another professor a few years ago. About, I met with this other professor about seven years ago. I took him to the Cone House and, and uh, uh, he, was, he was teaching some Bible study in some church. And uh, I asked him if he believed in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, oh, come on. He says, when we die, we just change frequency. And you know, this is typical for a scientist to, to, to put it in these terms. We die, we change frequency. And I guess, you know, you know, in, in, in a sense, he's correct. And, and, uh, uh, but... He didn't believe in the physical resurrection. Here this guy was it was now five years later. The guy was really old. And I knew he couldn't live much longer. And I asked him to lunch again. We could only meet in the department because he had a little controllable wheel cart at that time. And we had lunch together. And I said, you know, I'm really concerned about you. This resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Bible says if you don't believe in the resurrection, you can't be saved. And I quoted to him Romans chapter 10 verse 9. And we talked a little bit about the resurrection. He says, Jim, this is hard for me because there's just the one data point. There's only one who's raised from the dead like that. I said, you're right. It was a miracle. We don't have a lot of data points to go on. He says, but concerning this Jesus, I believe it. I can believe that, that Jesus raised from the dead. Two weeks later, that man was dead. And I'll tell you, I have never regretted that I met with him. This was not easy for me to go to him again and to bring this topic up again. Christian life is doing what Joseph did, gathering our courage and doing it. When you have a job, you leave something out that nails you as a Christian. Oh, well, people will know I'm a Christian just by seeing me. Well, they may really not know you're a Christian. You leave a Bible on your desk. And then you have to start to act differently. Watchman Nee says, unless we let it be known that we're Christians, people will never hold us accountable. But as soon as we let it be known, they will hold us accountable. And you know what that means? That when I say things that are not appropriate with my colleagues, my unbelieving colleagues, the next time I'm with them, I say, hey, I want to apologize for something I said last time. And most of them have forgotten it, but it was tearing me up. And our openness to unbelievers in ways like that, actually does a lot in bringing them to Christ. As you reflect your openness, God will bless you. Whoever comes to me shall follow me, Jesus says. In John chapter 12, turn to John chapter 12, verse 23. And Jesus answered and said to them, the hour has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant also be. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. What does it say in verse 26 of John 12? If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. And if anyone, follows, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You want the honor of God dropped upon you. You gather up your courage and you let it be known that you are a believer. And you gather up your courage and you do what God has called you to do. It is hard for me... It is hard for you. We're none of us are alone in this. It was hard for Joseph, but that man got his clothes covered with blood, and lost everything along with Nicodemus as a result of this. But he gained eternal life, and he gained approval from the Father. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. It is true. Thank You, Lord. And I pray for these young people that they would not desire the approval of man more than the approval of God. And that You would raise up Josephs and Nicodemuses from this class who would not be afraid to have their clothes covered in the blood of Jesus. The one who was mocked, the one who was shamed, the one who was beaten up, the one who hung on the cross. And they would see the honor of the Father. Father, raise them up, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.